Bibles less than four times a year. How can this book be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path if we don't read it? Have you ever heard someone teach on every book of the Bible at church during one calendar year? I haven't. 66 books in 52 weeks out in the world. Well, I'm very excited to announce that in 2024, we're going to do that here at New Hope. I've never even heard of a church doing that before. A book a week. And obviously sometimes a couple of books in one week. I also felt the Lord challenging us as a church here at New Hope. So during 2024, I want you to join me on this journey. And I'm going to ask you to do three things. Number one, bring your Bible to church when you come every Sunday. A physical Bible, not your phone, not an iPad, but a physical Bible. The second thing I want to ask you to do is commit to reading God's Word every day. You say, well, I don't have time to do that. Yes, you do. Even if it's just one verse, read the Bible every single day. The third thing I'm going to ask you to do, and this is for the few that want to be really challenged, and that is I want to ask you to read the Bible in a year. The entire Bible, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, will produce daily devotions. I'm going to be recording a weekly podcast with other local pastors digging deeper. We're going to sing a classic hymn. Yes, a hymn. An old song. We'll also be offering electives that you can sign up for throughout the year. We are in the process right now of developing a website. This is my Bible.io. This will be a great space that will house all of the messages, podcasts, devotionals, and other resources from this series, including some cool merch that we're developing right now. 2024 is going to be an amazing year here at New Hope. A new book every single Sunday. So let's get in God's Word like never before. Hello. How you guys doing? Man, when God put that on, I was jogging and I felt God put that on my heart to go through the Bible like never before. We're going to do that. You guys going to join me? So it's going to be a massive undertaking from a preparation standpoint. Will you do this? That, that is a short video. We have about a seven and a half minute video. Go to thisismybible.io. It's available. You can watch the entire video um, as we talk. You'll hear more about it in the coming weeks, but go to thisismybible.io. The website is live. It's not complete, but it's live, and you can watch the full video. Don't watch it now. Watch it a little bit later. So, Hey, tonight, worship night. Tonight, here at 6 o'clock. That right there is a little preview. We're going to have a choir up here tonight. Oh, you don't want to miss it. We're going to have snacks and food. It's going to be so great. This is Thanksgiving week, my favorite holiday of the year. I love Thanksgiving. Anybody else like Thanksgiving? I love it so much. I hope, Nora and I hope you, each of you guys have an amazing week um, of Thanksgiving with your family, with your friends. Last night, Nora and I went back to Shadow Mountain, where I worked before Shadow Mountain Community Church, where I worked before I started here at New Hope. Um, Pastor Jeremiah, who I love and respect so much, he has been out for several months with an illness. He's been in the hospital. 
Um, he's been through physical therapy, and last night, this weekend is his first weekend back preaching since before summer, and so Nora and I were with him last night to, to support him and honor him, and, and uh, it, it, it was interesting last night that he's been through so much in the last, he's 83 years old, and still preaching all over the world, and hopefully to start that again here soon, but um, uh, last night, he just talked about how thankful he is. And it's just a reminder and an example to all of us that no matter what you go through in life, no matter what challenges come your way, gratitude is so important. Gratitude is a cure for selfishness, and gratitude plays a vital role in good mental health. And so let's be grateful always for God's blessings in our life. Today we are finishing up our series entitled Bible Shorts. So turn to the book of Jude. That is the second to last book of the New Testament. Last week, we went through some verses in Jude, so I'm not going to read all of them um, this week. But we've been in this series where we've looked at the five one-chapter books of the Bible. And I hope that you've been reading each of them. Today, we're going to wrap up the, uh, uh, the book of Jude. And my message today is called Creeps, Scoffers, and Rebels. Because Jude warns us not only about defending our faith and standing up for our faith, which we talked about last week, but Jude warns us about false teachers and false teachings, and, and, and this is who they are. They're creeps, they're scoffers, and they're rebels. Jude actually calls them all three in uh, this book, which is why I titled that. So let's look in verse 10. We're not going to read the entire book because we did that. We, we, we read parts of it last week. You can read it on your own. But we're going to be uh, in verses 10 through 19 this week. So, so let's read it. It says, but these men, again, he's speaking of false teachers. He says, these men revile things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unseasoned, like unreasoning animals... By the things that they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished into the rebellion of Korah. We'll talk about those here in a minute. Verse 12, he says, These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, and when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, they're clouds without water. They're carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit. They're doubly dead, uprooted. They're wild waves of the sea, casting up their shame like foam. Wandering stars from whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation of, from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly, their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way and in all harsh things with an ungodly, uh, with, uh, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Verse 16, they are grumblers. Again, still speaking of these false teachers, they're grumblers. They find fault, right? They're critical. They're following their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. That's key. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own 
ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded. They're devoid of the Spirit. Remember, Jude, his real name is Judas. He's the brother, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last Sunday. And Jude is challenging us to stand up for our faith. And, And this week, in the text that we've read, he's specifically addressing these false teachers, what they look like, what they do, what their motives are, and how to identify them. You know, it's interesting that every single book in the New Testament warns and talks to us about false teachings with the exception of Philemon. Every book in the New Testament talks to us about that. Judah, or Jesus taught a parable in Matthew chapter 13 called the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the idea is this, that a farmer goes into a field and he sows good seed. And then later that night, an enemy comes in the same field and sows bad seed or tares or, or, or weeds. And so you have the, the good seed and you have the bad seed in the same field. And the farmer, the farmer asks, well, can I just go and, and tear out all the weeds, tear out all the tares? And Jesus says, no. You got to let them grow together because if you tear out the bad, you're also going to rip out some of the good. And so the idea is this, that there are good teachers. There are always be good teachers of God's word whose motives are pure and whose hearts are the Lord's. But there will also be false teachers whose motives are not pure and whose hearts are not the Lord's. And at the end of the day, we will all stand before the Lord, and the Lord will separate those that are true followers and true teachers and those that are not. And so there's always going to be false teachers. That's why it's so important and vital for us to know God's word, to understand God's word, to know our faith, to know what we believe, and to know why we believe. As a matter of fact, as a part of this thing we're going to do next year. This is my Bible. We're going to have a how to study the Bible elective in the, during the year. We're going to offer a New Testament and an Old Testament survey class so you can dig deeper into God's word. There will always be people, even church leaders, who look like Christians, who act like Christians, who talk like Christians, who go to church like Christians. However, they are not. They're imposters. And this is what Jude is warning about. The Bible tells us that in the last days there'll be this great falling away, this great time of apostasy or a departure from the faith. Jesus warned that false teachers were coming. Paul warned that false teachers were coming. Peter warned that false teachers were coming. Jude says they're here. They are here. So let's look at some common attributes that are in your notes. Again, if you haven't downloaded our New Hope Eastlake app, you can download that and follow along. Click on the notes section in the app, or you have the physical notes with you this morning. So let's look at some some attributes of false teachers. The first one is this. False teachers are deceptive. We read last week in verse 4, it says, Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Creeps, right? They, they, they have crept in unnoticed, unaware. In verse 8, it says that they dream dreams. In other words, they say things like, that's not based on God's word, but they say things like, like, God spoke to me. God told me in a dream. 
And even if it's not scriptural, uh, uh, they expect people to follow it. In verse 12 and 13, it says they're hidden reefs, they're clouds without water, they're autumn trees with no fruit, they're deceptive. Jude says that these teachers have crept in unaware, they've snuck in, they've blended in, nobody has caught it. Does anyone have um, a kid that is really good at sneaking around? Now, my youngest son, Stephen, anytime he's quiet, something's going on. Anytime I can't hear him, something is going on. Even now, like Stephen, if you know Stephen, he, he's very loud at everything he does. Like, you know he's in the room. And he, his, his, he's a heavy walker. He just opening doors, closing doors, drawers, bathroom, brushing teeth. It doesn't matter. Playing with toys when he was younger. Everything he does is just loud. Anybody have one like that? I mean, and, 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 and so my clue with Stephen is, uh, especially when he was younger, if I can't hear him, I better go check on him because something's going on. This one time, so Stephen would take a nap when he was like three, four years old, two, three, four years old. Um, we put him down for a nap, and I was in the living room, and, and I'd put him down for a nap, and, and uh, you know, you can hear him banging walls and toys, and, I, you know, he was just, he's still loud, but when he was younger especially, and, and so about 45 minutes had passed by, and there's a knock at my door, and, I'm, and so I go to the door, and it's my neighbor that lives across the street, that just also happened to be the executive pastor at the church that I planted. And, and so we lived across the street from each other, and he had a son about the same age as Stephen. And, and so I opened the door, and, and it's him, and Stephen's with him. His door's closed. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And so, you know, I'm like, thank you. He, he, he went over to, uh, to hang out with his friend. So I'm like, what in the world's going on? I go in Stephen's room. He had opened the blinds. He had unlocked his window, he had opened his window, he had popped out his screen, three, four years old, and he had gone out the window and walked across the street to go hang out with his buddy. I didn't even know, I had no clue, no clue. Anybody have a kid like that or am I the only bad parent, right? Okay, I mean, Jude says, not that my son's a false teacher, but you get the point. Jude says that they've crept in unaware. You didn't even notice. You didn't even hear them. You had no idea that they had infiltrated, but they had. The Bible says that Satan disguises himself, listen, as an angel of light. And so do his representatives. They don't knock at the door with some outlandish story or some weird beliefs. It's something similar but with a twist. Larry Osborne, um, he uses an amazing illustration when talking about like false teachers and I wanted, to, I, I wanted to show you. So if I were to offer you $100 and I were to give you this, you would be like, what? Like, you know that's fake, right? So the idea is like these false teachers, they're not gonna bring you some doctrine that is like so outlandish and you're like, what, that, 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 yeah, there's no way I'm gonna be fooled like that. What they do is they do this, is they give you a hundred, if I gave you this hundred dollar bill in the next slide, without the brown mark there, that looks real, but it's fake. It looks real, 
But there's little details that make it fake. This is what false teachers do. They're deceptive. They're not going to give you a monopoly money, right? Where you can easily identify the doctrine and know, oh, there's no way this is biblical. But they blend it in. Remember the definition of wicked means to twist like a wicker basket or a wick on top of a candle. They take some truth with a little bit of lies and they twist it. And it's difficult to identify. They do things like the gospel plus, right? We believe in Jesus, but. Remember we read that in 2 John where they had believed that Jesus was spirit, but they didn't believe that Jesus was man. They didn't believe that he was flesh. And here in this text, we see that they deny, in verse 4, our only master, our Lord and Jesus Christ. And, and, and another part of their deceptions, we see in verse 8, they have dreams or hunches, or I have a revelation from the Lord, right? But their authority is, are their dreams or their visions or their hunches and not scripture. Anybody that comes to you and says, oh, I have a vision from the Lord. I have, uh, I, I, I have something from the Lord I need to tell you. But it's not biblical. Then who cares what they have to say, right? I mean, God's word is our authority, not these hunches. And, and, and according to this text, these false teachers, their, their hunches and their dreams and their visions are all based on their authority, not God's word. 12, verses 12, 13, 16, 19, they cause drama. They break promises. They use people for their benefit. They cause divisions. The Bible says they are devoid of the spirit. They don't even have God's spirit in them. So false teachers are deceptive. The second thing that Jude tells us is that false teachers are self-serving. We see this in verse 8, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, verse 18, verse 19, verse 16. They're, they're not sent by God. They're not driven or directed by God. They're driven by their flesh. Jude says that they are devoid of God's spirit. They're driven by compulsions and natural desires and, and instinct rather than God's word. Six times in 25 verses, Jude calls them ungodly. He calls them shameless shepherds. Paul described to Timothy false teachers as having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Again, they have a form of godliness, which makes it harder to identify they're not led by God, they just seem or act like they are. They make their own rules. In verse 4, look in verse 4, it says that they're ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. In other words, they, turns God, they, turns God, they turn God's grace into immorality. In other words, the mindset is this. I can do whatever I want because God's a forgiving God. God will forgive me. I can rewrite the rules. I can make the rules apply for whatever urges and desires that I have because God's a forgiving God. God will forgive me no matter what. God's grace is displayed in my life the more that I violate his word. Actually, Paul dealt with that in Romans chapter 6. In verse 1 and 2, he said, should we keep sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And Paul said, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? What's interesting 
is that throughout the history of time, you guys, we need to understand that what we're dealing with in our culture right now, it's nothing new, right? The Bible tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. Throughout the history of time, false religions, false teachers, they always try to redefine two things. And these are in your notes. Two things. Every single time, every time they try to redefine morality and they try to redefine Jesus. Every single time throughout the history of man, false teachers, false religions, self-serving people, they always try to change those two areas, try to redefine those two areas, morality and Jesus. And we see both of these in verse 4. False teachers, false religions, this is what they focus on. Because they're self-serving, they're led by their flesh and not God's spirit. They want it to be okay to live an immoral life and to deny Jesus or to add things to who Jesus was or is. They want to make Jesus a friend who's offering suggestions instead of a Lord who has given us commands. Concerning morality, they, they try to get us to believe that the Bible is outdated. Have you ever heard that before? The Bible is no longer relevant in our culture today. It's outdated. Morality is subjective and it's okay to give in to these natural urges and natural desires, um, which we see throughout this text, that he talks to them about how they give in, they're driven by the flesh and these natural urges and desires, these impulses. Now, having urges and desires and impulses are not wrong. We all have them. At one point or another, we've all wanted to kill somebody, haven't we? At, at one point or another, we've all wanted to say things that we don't say. And no matter how holy you are, okay, no matter how holy you are, everybody in here has been attracted to somebody of the opposite sex that is not your spouse, okay? Let's just be real this morning, okay? Listen, we all have urges and desires and inclinations. We all do. Everybody does, but the Bible says that one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. We don't have to give in to every desire and urge that we have. But having those urges are not wrong, but giving in to them can be. As far as Jesus goes, they always try to change the true message of who Jesus is. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, it's in your notes, it says, I'm, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God, who has called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ, for you are following a different way that pretends to be good news. He says you're, you're following a different gospel. But it's not the gospel at all. It's not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist. Here's that word, evil, that twist. The truth concerning who? Concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us. Paul says, including me. Or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of gospel or good news than the one that has been preached to you already. I say again, and we've said this before. In other words, there's nothing new about this. You already know this. If anyone preaches any other good news or any other gospel than the one that you've welcomed, let that person be accursed. Remember, this is the gospel that's been handed down once and for all to us to pass on. Jude uses three illustrations to demonstrate 
their selfishness in verses 10 or 11. He uses the illustration that we read earlier of Cain. You remember who Cain was, right? Cain and Abel, the, the children of Adam and Eve. And the story goes that Abel had given a sacrifice or an offering to the Lord that was pleasing to the Lord. The Bible tells us that we're to give God our first fruits. Not our leftovers, but we're to give God our best, our first fruits. And Abel gave the Lord his best, and Cain gave God his leftovers. And the Bible tells us that the Lord accepted Abel's offering and was pleased with Abel. And Cain's, he did not accept, because Cain just gave God his leftovers. He you know, went against what he knew was right before the Lord. And it made Cain so angry that Cain ended up killing his brother. And the idea by, the, uh, by what Jude is mentioning, they've gone the way of Cain, is this. My way, not God's way. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what God's word says. It's what I feel or what I prefer or what I want to do. That's the way of Cain. And, and Jude says these false teachers, they've gone this way. It's not about God. It's not about God's word. It's not about doing the right thing. It's all about themselves and doing things their way rather than God's way. And then he uses the illustration of Balaam. Uses the illustration of Balaam. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Balaam's sin is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Balaam had the gift of prophecy in the Old T Testament. Matter of fact, the Bible says that whoever Balaam blessed was blessed, and whoever Balaam cursed was cursed. And so as the Israelites were making their journey, the king of Moab had sent for Balaam and asked him to curse the Israelites. And Balaam is like, well, let me seek the Lord and see if this is God's will. And so he took the evening and he sought the Lord and the Lord explicitly told him, no, you do not curse my people. And so Balaam goes back and he's like, no, God, God has told me no. And so they came back again. This time they brought stronger and more popular and higher ranking officials. And they brought more money. And when you read the text, it seems like God is saying, okay, go ahead. But here's the problem. Balaam went back to the Lord again. He's like, wait a minute, let me go back to God again. And there's the problem. God had already told him no. And yet he should have never went back and asked God again because he knew that wasn't God's will. Anybody have kids like that? They think the more they ask you, the answer's going to change, right? And sometimes it's just a war of attrition, right? And, and so Balaam's heir is this, is that God is a tool. And he mentions that for money, Balaam ended up uh, being used by them to help bring down the children of Israel, to help defeat them. And so the idea is this. The sin of Balaam is this. If you, it, it doesn't matter what God says. I'm going to do whatever needs to be done if the price is right. False teachers that teach things like, you know, if you live for God, if you just believe, if you just have enough faith, then God will bow down to your commands. They don't say that, but that's the implication. God will give you health. God will give you wealth. And God wants you to be so prosperous. God is a tool to use for your benefit. And in God's name, you use other people to get what you want. This is the way of Balaam. 
This is the way of these false teachers, that God owes me, that God can be manipulated. These false teachers are basically for hire. The problem with what's called the prosperity gospel is this. What about those that trust God and love God with all their heart and yet they suffer? What about people that are sold out for God, they just happen to be born in the wrong part of the world? I've been around a lot of them. They have absolutely nothing, and they love Jesus way more than I do. Can God elevate you? Absolutely. Can God bless you financially? Yes. Can God heal you? Yes. Can God prosper you? Yes. However, not everyone that is rich loves God, and not everybody that's poor hates God. Does that make sense? Look at what Timothy said, or Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, if anyone advocates, in verse 3 through 5, a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ with doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and he understands nothing. But he has sick cravings for controversial questions and disputes about words. Oh, well, the Bible doesn't really mean this from which come envy and strife and abusive language and evil suspicions and constant friction between people of depraved mind and deprived of truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, they're only in it for themselves. What can I get out of God in this? This is the sin of Balaam. How can I use God to advance my lot in life? Balaam is self-serving Using God, using God's people to get ahead in life. And then he uses, lastly, the illustration of Korah. Korah was one of the three Israelites that led a rebellion against God's chosen leader, Moses. And as a result, the earth swallowed them up. So be nice to your pastor. <laughs> you're listening. I was just seeing if you're awake. The sin of Korah and the illustration that Jude is using is that these false teachers refuse to submit to authority. The authority of God's word, the authority of spiritual leaders, the authority of what's right, kind of like what we saw in 3 John with diatrophies. They refuse to submit to any kind of authority at all. False teachers defy God's authority and spiritual authority within the church. We see that in verse 8, verse 11, and verse 19. And then Jude concludes with dealing with people that may be struggling or got caught up in false teachings. Verse 22, he says, have mercy on some who are doubting. People that are having doubts, he's like, give them grace. Have mercy on them. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Some people, you just got to be a little more uh, open with about it and, and save them out of something they're being uh, deceived into. And on some, with mercy, with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And then Jude ends with one of the most beautiful doxologies in all of the scriptures. And I thought it would be great for us to end reading this together. It's in your notes. Will you stand up with me? This is a beautiful way to go into Thanksgiving and to go into the Christmas season with this beautiful doxology. I don't know if you've ever read this before. Hopefully you read Jude this week. But this is so beautiful. It's in your notes, so we'll all have the same translation. It'll be up on the screen. So let me hear you. You ready? Now to him who is able 
to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word that is so relevant and incredible in our lives. Father, help us to be students of our faith, to understand our faith, to be equipped to know our faith. And God, I just, I pray for each person. Sometimes it's so easy to get wrapped up in all these tangents, these, the, 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 these off-ramps that have nothing to do with the central core of your word. And a lot of times we allow these little things to bring division, to cause doubts in our lives. But Father, help us to rest in your promises and in the truth of your word. Regardless of how progressive we get, regardless of how much smarter we think we are than you, your way is always going to be the best way. It's been proven throughout the history of this world. Father, help us to be on guard. Help us to understand truth. Guard our hearts and our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, there are always people to pray with you. Don't forget worship night tonight. Thank you. Hey, New Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Have a beautiful Sunday. God bless you. See you.